So after Saul died, logically, Jonathan would be the next king of Israel. Then this would have embarrassed David. We know that if Jonathan had survived, he would have gladly yielded the crown to David. But the same could not be the set of Saul's other sons. Saul has four sons. So I think God was merciful to Jonathan, sparing him the ordeal of having to side with David against his own brothers. There is one surviving son of Saul who was not killed in battle, Ishbosheth. We will see what happened to him in later chapters. So if Jonathan deal with his brother's complaint and keeps his promise and give his crown to David, then it would have been said that Jonathan had made David king, whereas God was have all the glory. So the death of Jonathan was tragic and would be a great affliction to David, yet it would be an advantage to his ascent to the throne, which was important in God's plan. So when uh, Saul sees his soldiers and his three sons fall before him, and he is critically wounded and knows his death is near, so he orders his armor bearer to finish him up. He gives two reasons for this. First, he does not want to die at the hands of some uncircumcised Philistine. And second, he does not want his enemy to mistreat him. But his armor bearer was afraid and refused. Maybe he fears the disgrace that would have hounded him, or even death, for slaying the king. Or perhaps, like David, he did not want to kill God's anointed. So it is ironic that while David could not take the life of Saul because he's God's anointed, but Saul chose to do this himself. So while we know that the Saul is the man who was determined to have his own way. So when other Israelites who were not in battle and dwelt east of the field of battle and saw the great defeat of their king, they panicked and they abandoned their houses and fled. Their responses remind me of the day before uh, Jesus was crucified when he said in Mark 14, 27, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this, this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So verse 7 indicates what Saul's death meant to Israel. It indicated a complete loss of confidence, even identity. So without a king, even this disgraceful king, Israel is hopeless. So Saul's sin and hardened rebellion affected far more than himself and even his immediate family. It literally endangered the entire nation of Israel. So throughout the Old Testament, the quality of king and the destiny of nations Israel goes hand in hand. So if they have a good king, Israel prospers. If they have a bad king, the whole nation 
goes downhill. So after the Israelite fled, the territory was quickly claimed by Philistines. Then they did exactly what David did to Goliath. The Philistines cut off Saul's head, as David had earlier cut off the head of Goliath. And they placed Saul's armor as a trophy in the temple of Ashtoreth, just like placing Goliath's sword in the tabernacle. And according to First uh, Chronicles 10.10, 10, Saul's skull was placed in the temple of Dagon, just as David had taken Goliath's head to Jerusalem. So this kind of retaliation is not just showing off the Philistines' victory over Israel, but it's their God, Dagon's victory over Israel's God. So theologically, it means that when the king dies, the king's God has failed, which means Israel's God has been defeated. So Saul's death was used to glorify pagan gods and to mock the living God of Israel. But at least in the end, Saul was treated like a king. Saul failed to save Israel from the Philistines, but he did save the people of Jebesh Gilead from the Ammonites when he first came to the throne. So he saved them from their cruel enemy, uh, Nehesh, the Ammonite king, who said, I gouged out your right eyes. Remember that? So the man of Jebesh Gilead rescued Saul's corpse, burned it, and buried the remaining bones. The cremation was not the, not the usual Israelite practice, but cremation may have been demanded by the unusual circumstance of Saul's death. They did this out of common concern for the honor of Israel or the land of Israel, which should not be defined by displaying any dead bodies, especially the uncircumcised. They also did this out of particular sense of gratitude to Saul and a desire to honor him. So death of Saul was tragic and sad because he had so much potential. He was full of promise at his anointing and having many natural qualities that could have con con contributed to a successful reign. His death also was so shameful because of what happened to his body, his grotesqueness. It did not have to happen that, that way, but like all of us, Saul made some bad choices during his life that totally affected the outcome of his entire life. So one question I gave you last week is that how Saul's death contrasts with Jesus' death. I hope you did homework. But are there any similarity between Saul's death and Jesus' death? After all, Saul is the first king of Israel, and Jesus is called last king of Israel, not literal human king, and the king of kings. So let's see. 
First, both sets are tragic, obviously. It is so tragic, it looks like the end had come. After Saul's death, Israel fled away in fear, without hope. After Jesus' death, the disciples scattered in fear, without hope. Why no hope? Because it looks like their enemy has won. But both deaths introduced the beginning of new plan. God used the death of Saul to accomplish some important matters in Israel. God used this event to change the royal line of Israel to prepare the advent of the Messiah. And God used the death of Jesus also accomplished some important matter in the spiritual area. So after Jesus' death, God would no longer be approached through the sacrifice of blood of animals and a Jewish priest. We can now approach God through Jesus, his son. And both deaths also introduce new people. Saul's death opened the way for David to be a king. Jesus' death opened the way of salvation for Gentiles. Both deaths introduced a new promise. After Saul died, a new era was ushered in. When David came to the throne, he brought prosperity and hope to Israel like they have never known. When Jesus died, his death indicated the end of era of guilt and law and brought in a new era of grace. And both deaths introduced a new blessing. Blessing to Israelites through Saul's death only because it cleared the way for a better leader. And death of Jesus is a blessing to the whole human race. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 1. Here, uh, verses 1 to 16 was constructed chiastically to focus our attention on the Amalekite story and David's reaction to it. So first, David struck the Amalekite in verse 1, goes with David struck the Amalekite in verse 15 and 16, and David questioned an Amalekite in verse 2, goes with David's question the Amalekite again in verse 13 and 14. The Amalekite tells his story in verses 6 to 10, and David's reaction to that story goes together. So last week, uh, we saw uh, David and his men has arrived home in Ziklag only to find it burned and their family missing having been carried captive by the Amalekite. David and his men went in pursuit and slaughtered the Amalekite and retrieved all the captives and plundered. Now David and his men came back home in Ziklag, take a rest. On the third day, an Amalekite man comes to David and tells him the news about the death of Saul and Jonathan. So let's look at verses 6 to 10. I happened to be on the mount 
Ilboa, a young man said, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he, re he turned around and saw me, he called out to me. And I said, what can I do? He asked me, who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, stand nearby me and kill me. I am in the throes of death, but I am still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that after he fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. So here is another controversial part of scripture because it seems to contradict what we were told back in 1 Samuel chapter 31, that Saul fell on his sword and killed himself. But here, the Amalekite said that he killed Saul. So who is right? If one is wrong, is there a contradiction to the scriptures? So actually, there are four different places in the Bible that give us four different perspectives on the death of Saul. So let's look at them. <clears throat> First, in Samuel chapter 31, 3 to 6, wounded soul killed himself. We already read it. This description is backed up by 1 Chronicles 10, 3 to 5. It said, The fight grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him. Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died. Exactly the same as uh, 1 Samuel chapter 31. And second description is Saul's death is in 2 Samuel chapter 1 here, an Amalekite killed Saul at Saul's request. So how to explain this? You know, there are two different ways to explain this Amalekite story. First, it is possible that Saul's suicide attempt did not work, yet it still caused armor bearer to think he was dead, so Amalbera killed himself. But later, the Amalekite found that Saul was not dead, and Saul asked Amalekite to finish him up. <laughs> That's a possibility. And other way to explain his story is that the Amalekite made up the story. He lied. So let's see the first explanation um, why the first explanation um, doesn't make sense for several reasons. In verse 6, the Amalekite said, I happen to be on the Mount Gilboa. Yeah, sure. I just happen to be in the middle of a huge world. Yeah, I just take it for a walk over Mount Gilboa. And guess what? I found Saul right there. Really? Maybe he was looting 
taking valuable from dead Israelites before the Philistines came to strip the kill. Second reason the story doesn't make sense is that he isn't Amalekite. There are two points of irony concerning Amalekite, who were Israel's sworn enemy in general. Initially, Saul lost his kingship because he disobeyed God when he failed to kill the Amalekite, including their king. Moreover, David was just returned from a battle in which he and his men killed many Amalekites. Now this Amalekite man comes and says he killed Saul because Saul has begged him to kill him. Really? Concerning this history with Amalekite, why would Saul ask, have asked an Amalekite to kill him? Why would an Amalekite have done Saul a favor? Personally, I think Saul's asking the Amalekite to have a mercy killing is worse than being abused by the Philistine. The third reason his story doesn't make sense is that the Amalekite seem to assume that Saul and Jonathan are David's enemies, obstacles to his ascent to the throne. He appears to believe that killing Saul is doing David a favor. By presenting Saul's crown and armband, the Amalekites suppose that it is the time for David to be a king. He is single-handedly making David a new king and giving him legitimacy. Who the heck are you to have that kind of authority? It doesn't make sense. So therefore, most of theologians agree that the Amalekites fabricate the story. So their theory is that the Amalekite, as a liar, stumbled upon Saul's dead body, knowing that the kingdom would now go to David, he saw a prime opportunity to gain favor with the new king by delivering Saul's crown and armband. Okay, the third place that mentions Saul's death is in 2 Samuel 21, 12. It said the Philistine had killed Saul. They had stolen their bodies from the public square at Bethshan, where the Philistine had hung them after they struck Saul down on Gilboa. So 1 Samuel 34 says Saul was wounded by Philistine's arrow. But Philistine's arrows were not the final blow to kill Saul. And yet, without it, Saul would not have killed himself. The Hebrew word naha, translated as struck here, doesn't mean kill, but can refer to being beaten, smitten, or wounded, which was certainly the case. The first play that mentions Saul's death is in 1 Chronicles 10, 13 to 14. They said, God killed Saul. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. 
Samuel 28:19, that Samuel came and told Saul about his final prophecy that he would die soon. So God did not directly kill Saul, but God determined that it is time to end Saul's life by delivering him to Philistines. Therefore, except for the made-up story in this chapter, the three descriptions about Saul's death don't contradict. Saul died by God's will through the means of fatal wound by Philistines, and Saul just speed up his death by falling on his own sword. So we could say Saul was killed by himself. Also, yes, Saul was killed by the Philistines. And yes, Saul was killed by God. If this doesn't make sense to you, just think about who is responsible for Jesus' death. Was Jesus killed by his own people, the Jews? By God? By Pilate? Or by Judah? Or did he just lay down his own life? Of course, the answer is that all these people listed sharing responsibility for Jesus' death. It was a sequence of events that led to his death where all involved are implicated. Okay, so whether the story of uh, the story, the Amalekite story is factual or not, David accepts the Amalekite report at face value. David has no other data, and there's no way to Google it. <laughs> this is the only report he receives. The news of Saul's death cannot be welcomed to David. This mercy killing may not seem wrong to the Amalekite, but it is an outrageous to David. How many times David refused to kill Saul because Saul is God's anointed? No one should be allowed to be rewarded for killing the one God has anointed. So David had the Amalekite man killed. Even if David did not believe the Amalekite's story, killing him was a just sentence nonetheless. Because we saw earlier God's command for exterminating the Amalekite because of their wickedness. And it was also Amalekai raiders who sacked Ziklag and kidnapped the family of David and his men. So by killing the Amalekai here, David revealed that he was a man of justice who has respect for the law of God. Then, what's the point of bringing the Amalekai into the you know, story of Saul's death? It again restates that David is not to blame for ascending to the throne in the place of Saul. He did not take the throne by force, but it was ripped away from Saul by God. So this little scene at the beginning of 2 Samuel further reiterates that point. So okay, so if your enemy who for years uh, have been on you to kill you or harm you is now found dead. How would you respond? I 
think many of us would say, Hallelujah! Well, thank God. But that was not David's response. He's different than us. He did not rejoice. In fact, he mourned and composed a song in honor of Saul and Jonathan. How can you do that? Have you ever wondered? Even though David is considered as a man of God's own heart, David is not a perfect saint. Later in the chapter, we will see how he committed rape and gave the command to commit a premeditated murder. So how does David manage to speak so well of Saul after all the suffering the, the cause, uh, he caused David to endure? First, I think David trusts in God whom he serves. David knows that his God is a mighty God who is in control of all things. So is use of God to help prepare David for a leadership role he will soon to accept. So his suffering was not in vain. Second, David dwells on good things that Saul did. The focus of 1 Samuel is on Saul's failures those that uh, brought about the end of his reign. But Philippians 4a said, I would say you will do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Based on David's eulogy, we can see David practiced this message and focuses on Saul's positive contribution he made to the Israelites, not his many failures. Third, David seemed to forgive Saul's sin against him. Again, how? I think because David was the one who was there for Saul when Saul had the most fragile time in his life. When Saul was rejected as a king by God and the Spirit of God left, then a dark mood settled on him. He was terrified and he experienced tormenting depression. So Saul hired David to play his harp whenever the bad depression tormented him. David's playing would calm Saul down and he would feel better as the moodiness lifted. So David saw Saul's vulnerability, his weakness. So he might understand where Saul's sins and madness came from and has compassion over him. First, David has enormous respect for God's anointed leader. Even though um, even those who disobey God, the king of Israel held a very special position of honor because he is anointed by God. So David honored that significance in Saul. Uh, let me quickly uh, share a story with you 
to make a bigger point here. An old Cherokee told his grandson, my son, there is a battle between two wolves inside us all. What is evil? It is anger, jealousy, greed, resentment, inferiority, lies, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, and truth. The boy thought about it and asked, Grandpa, which wolf wins? The old man quietly replied, the one you feed. I think this is true for Saul and also true for David and true for us. It is all about our choices. Depending on where your focus is on causes you to feel bitter or better. For David, he focuses on good, uses it to make him better. And for Saul, he focuses on evil, which makes him bitter. So in our lives, we don't have time to experience every failure for ourselves to learn the lesson that God would have learned us to learn. So from the mistake of others, so we can learn how to avoid making them. So in conclusion, what can we learn from Saul's mistake? First, Saul allowed his feeling to dominate his life. He was impatient and made reckless decisions based on his feelings. He trusted in his own natural feelings and ability more than his spiritual gifts and in the power of God so that he did not yield himself unto God and allow him to have control. Second, he was overly influenced by others' opinion. He cared more about people's opinion of him than God's favor. He was afraid of not being honored by the people, and therefore, he failed to understand the truth. Third, he often showed little or no interest in the matters of God. He was called by God and served God in the beginning. And then he began to serve God and himself. Eventually, he began to use God to serve himself. So throughout 1 Samuel, Saul never said anything about his relationship with God. It is possible that his spiritual life deteriorated slowly without him realizing. First, Saul never really took sin seriously. He didn't accept responsibility for his own actions. He always made excuses and blamed others for what he did rather than confessing his sin before God. By comparison, David committed more serious sin than Saul, but there was a difference. After sins, David spent time repenting before God. He confesses, repents, and gets forgiveness. But Saul never learned this lesson. Fifth, Saul failed to demonstrate courage when his people needed it most. 
This is understandable because courage comes from faith in God. So when I look at Saul's life, I can't help but question it. Why did God make Saul a king in the first place? He never asked to be a king to begin with. But when we are created by God and given a higher calling, we can choose either to embrace and work towards it or to ignore and work against it. We are all on trial. Saul just didn't handle himself well on his trial. I don't believe um, anyone is 100% evil or 100% good. Just like light and darkness coexist in the world, good and evil coexist in us. So the question is not, am I a sinner? We are, of course. Both Saul and David were great sinners. David was broken, but David was broken over his sin, while Saul seemed indifferent about it. Because of it, Saul was separated from Samuel, separated from David, and then he was separated from God. And last of all, he got separated from himself, from his own best nature and goodness, which is given by God. I think this is the saddest part of his life. In his personal battle between evil and goodness, gradually, his better self was overtaken by his worst nature. So rest in peace, soul. Thank you.